Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast with Kareem Farah, Tony Rose Deannon, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 54 of our podcast. And today for our guest, we have Lisa Doty, who is actually one of the program managers with me. Um, my name is Tony Rose Deanne and she, her pronouns, and I am also a program manager. I recently joined Modern Classroom this past June, and I've been so excited since then um, to really be able to connect with teachers all over the world. And so, Lisa, can you give us a little bit more information about you? Yes, thanks so much for having me. This is my third podcast with the Modern Classrooms Project, but it is my first one as a staff member. Uh, The first two, I was still um, teaching and working in a school setting, and so I'm now a full-time staff member and get to work with Tony Rose every day. It's so exciting. Uh, Before coming on full-time to the Modern Classrooms Project, I taught elementary, middle school, and then worked as an instructional coach and found the model Um, in the spring of 2020. And I suppose the rest is history. Yeah, I was so ecstatic meeting Lisa for the first time ever. I just felt like you and I just clicked really well. Um, And even though like you and I have never met each other in person, um, I just feel like you've become one of my really close friends. So how exciting is that? (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. You are super fun. It's a it's a small but mighty team of educators here at Modern Classrooms Project, and I absolutely love working with everyone. Oh my gosh, most definitely. And I I mean, I'm not biased or anything, but teachers <laughs> are the best people out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So uh, thank you, Lisa, for joining us today. Our topic is actually responding to critics because we've heard a good amount of critics um, about our model, which is actually something that we welcome because we do want our students and our stakeholders to ask questions um, and to feel as if their concerns are valid because they are. Um, and so we just had a couple of questions that that we had been getting from people that we've talked to, from teachers that we've talked to who are hesitant about it, um, and just people who are running into some challenges. And so uh, let's get started. You ready, Lisa? Sounds great. All right. Awesome. So the first question, or rather the first scenario, is basically, I have parents and families who are saying that all we do is watch videos in my class. How do I respond to this? So absolutely, it makes sense that uh, families might think that their student would be on technology all the time, especially coming out of the learning environment that we had last year uh, with remote and hybrid learning. Uh, but really, the reality is um, that's one component of such a broader, bigger model. I would say that a full implementation and doing it with fidelity students will experience the instruction, the, you know, the vast majority of it through those instructional videos. But that is not to say there isn't space for direct instruction where it's appropriate. Um, there's always room for collaboration. In fact, collaboration is a huge component and it is certainly encouraged to plan that throughout a unit. If teachers notice that uh, errors become common, you know, noticing the same type of error over and over through those mastery checks, it's okay to pause, you know, what students are doing independently to, you know, rally the troops and bring everybody together to provide clarification. So 
I would say if doing the model is is done well and done with fidelity, that a student would only be on technology for a portion of the time. You should, if you are observing a modern classroom, you should see uh, students on technology for part of the time. They should be interacting with their peers. You should see uh, teachers interacting with their students, students working by themselves on technology, off of technology. So you should really see a wide variety of activity going on in a modern classroom. Yeah, and I completely agree with you on that. Everything that we do now as a teacher with this model is intentional. We really have to be careful with what we want our students to be completing so that they can truly show mastery in the concepts that we're learning in our classes. Something, too, that I was thinking about um, was that with watching videos, right? Like when, when parents and families are like, no, all we do is watch videos. Well, it's actually kind of like taking that lecture part of the lesson and then putting in a video so that students can replay over and over and over again, right? Um, And something that I would do with parents and families in the very beginning of um, me implementing this model is having that open conversation with my family. So just kind of talk about the misconceptions um, and then also saying with, you know, kind of sharing with them, like, this is actually great because you all could learn together at home. So it's no longer one of those things where students are saying, oh, I don't know what I learned today. But rather, the parent or family member could come in, the guardian could, you know, watch that video together with their child and learn alongside their student. So there's not a gray area anymore. And and families have a better um, understanding of what they're learning in class. And so it shouldn't be just watching videos in the whole class. But then again, there's just that misconception, right? Because sometimes our lectures can take more than 25, 30 minutes long. But then like with the videos, we again have to be really, really intentional and we cut it down to like five minutes, nine minutes, no more than 10 minutes. And so I think we actually have more chances to collaborate, like you said, and more chances to really transfer the skills that they learn from the videos into the tasks that they're working in the classroom. And so whenever you're communicating with parents and families and guardians, it's just really good to have that open space to have that conversation because there will be lots of questions and that's okay. And as long as you really take the time to have, um, to hear your parents, your families, your guardians out, I think it'll work out pretty well. And it's not just watching videos the entire time. Yeah. And I think what would be equally important and powerful is to invite those families in, you know, on the upfront, you know, provide them context for what they might see and what they might hear. I think parents, speaking for myself only, um, I we can almost, you know, take in any bit of information about our students ahead of time. It's a lot easier to embrace change and understand what's going on if we are part of it and looped in and informed. So, you know, leverage the power of the model and maybe create, you know, a unit zero to share with those families, outlining what they can expect and use some handouts. We've got all kinds of resources to support teachers and communicating what this model looks like for students and then how their families can actually support them. Yeah, and we'll definitely link those resources in the show notes just so that you all have access to it. Um, And again, with Unit Zero, you could do back to school night if you start the school year with Modern Classroom. Um, And so those are just some ideas, but definitely having um, an open communication with parents, families, guardians, that's going to be your way in. Okay, moving on to the second question. So I have students who are saying that I'm not teaching anymore. How can I tell students that I'm actually doing more teaching now than any time before? 
I love this question, and I'm going to respond by telling a great quick story. Uh, so I was at uh, the gym the other night. I'm at a gym buff. I was just there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning. But anyway, uh, there's a former student who works there, and she, you know, recognized me, and we were chatting, and she was having a hard time with a math problem, but she said she had the instructional video in her backpack. And so what I was so excited to point out was like, oh my goodness, you have your teacher in your backpack. Get that uh, video out and let's go over it. And so when students say, you know, the teacher isn't teaching, well, they actually are. And they're actually teaching in perpetuity as long as that video exists, right? So she could pull that teacher out of her backpack and had that personalized instruction right there. So though a person, a teacher might not be present, you know, physically right in front of them, uh, offering direct instruction, that video captures the teacher's professionalism and expertise and experience in video format for a student to access whenever they needed. There would have been no way for this student to complete that assignment at eight o'clock at night in, in an ordinary situation, right? in a traditional setting. So um, though the teacher's not right in front of them, they are. It's just captured in a video format. I really love that, Lisa, what you said about, you know, you have your teacher in your backpack because it's that's so true. Um, I was recently listening to an older episode. Um, it's episode 42 where Kareem talks to one of his former students, Jamie, about the student experience. And that was like the biggest complaint, right? Was just like, you're not teaching us anymore. And it's actually like, no, I am teaching you. It's just that I'm able to replicate myself now. So there's no need for interruptions. There's no need to avoid it, you know, any of that. So it's just like you have access to this instructional video that I created created myself. So, you know, it's my voice, it's my face, my personality. Um, and it's, you know, it's just essentially going over the skills and concepts that we're learning about in class. And so now that we don't have this live lecture, it's like, I can actually sit with you if you needed that, that extra support. So it's no longer having to wait on 20 or 30 students to be quiet, to pay attention to me saying this thing one time or teaching this thing one time. And then when you're on, you know, when you're in the flow of like going over um, the objective and the lesson and all of that. And then a student raised their hand and asked to go use the restroom. That's like my least favorite thing in the world. Um, and so I think it's just more so students are just hesitant about this model because it's something that's brand new. I mean, if you think about it, they've been doing the traditional method for many years, right? And so for you to just come in there and be like, oh, this is how we're going to learn now. Um, it's going to be jarring for some of them, right? Like, no, what do you mean I actually have to be an active learner? I've been passive all of these years, um, but now you're telling me that I have to do it this certain way. Um, and so, of course, you're going to have your students who are hesitant about it, who will be frustrated, who will be pretty upset, um, but definitely just stick with it. And so, and they'll, they'll start getting used to it. They'll start, you know, realizing like, oh, this is actually a much better way of teaching and learning. Um, and it's it's holding me accountable, which I'm uncomfortable with because I've never had this much accountability before, but it's just good practice, right? So you are teaching because you're creating that instructional video um, with the stuff that you're teaching in class. And so it's not just you're pulling multiple videos from wherever, um, but you're making it a personalized instructional video. And so you know, keep in mind, your students are going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable. Um, 
I think being open with your students and just letting them know like, hey, we're going to try this new thing out. We're going to see how it goes. We're going to do some reflection. We're going to tweak it. However, we need to to make sure that this is accessible and for everyone and also to make you feel successful in your learning journey. And so, um, again, listen to your students, right? You're not teaching anymore. Like it seems like a lot of like complaining and questioning and all of that, but really it's just because they're uncomfortable and this is something new. Continue to be firm, continue to have conversations with your students about it and continue to be open to feedback. And that'll make it a lot more impactful as well. I think so. And, you know, I think when a a teacher approaches a new initiative, a new task, a new topic with positivity, um, the students tend to reflect that positivity. So if you go into it with a great attitude, I think the students will approach it from that lens as well. Uh, One of my former colleagues, Danielle Bergman, and her friend, Jodel Spangler, uh, said, never apologize for your content, never apologize for what you are about to teach and model and show. And so they approach it with positivity. And I think that that is what makes them such awesome educators. And that's something I've always kept in mind is if you approach it with positivity and get the students excited, then odds are they will also feel the same way. Yep. Yep. So Tony Rose, you know, we just talked about um, technology and being on the technology too much, but what if a teacher doesn't have a lot of technology available in the classroom or their school isn't a one-to-one initiative? How does that teacher facilitate the model? Does that mean that they can't do it? So this has um, this question has popped up several times in the Facebook group as well as in just some conversations that I've had with teachers, right? Um, it doesn't actually mean that you cannot use the modern classroom model. I think, again, intent is really important here, right? So we have to be intentional with when we're using uh, technology. And so I know that I spoke with Kareem before about how when he started out this model, um, he did like 5% using technology and then 95% was all paper-based. And so we we actually also have a lot of mentees who are doing paper-based assignments. And the only thing that they have um, online are their instructional videos. Uh, and of course, using the LMS for that as well, just so that there's a platform for all of their videos. And so you could do, um, I know Lisa, you and I were talking about creating like a tech station so that students can access that technology um, at different times, but they still have access to it. Um, Another thing that I've heard some teachers use is that uh, there's some concern that like in the beginning of the school year, the students still don't have their devices. So what do we do? And one of the teachers was like, oh, we used their phone. So some, you know, some of our students have smartphones and so they could watch it in small groups. They could watch the videos in small groups. Um, and so that's a one way to um, to have that as well. And I know, Lisa, you're a big fan of QR codes. So um, using the QR codes for their phones will be really good for students to be able to easily access their instructional videos that they need to do. Um, Another thing too is like you have your tech stations and then like you could plan out like, okay, Mondays we're going to use technology, but then on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're not going to use it. And so creating some kind of um, meaningful tasks to go along with the concept or skills that you're teaching will be really impactful as well. So you don't actually need to have one-to-one technology. Of course, it'll be easier that way, but there's definitely different ways to access the model without it being one-on-one. Okay, so then the next one, um, 
this teacher, uh, one of their concerns is basically saying like, hey, my students aren't engaged while watching the video. So they end up either copying each other's notes um, or like just doing something that I just worry that they're not really learning. They're not transferring the skills. So what do I do in this instance? This is such a great question. I'm thinking of all sorts of responses. Um, yes, that's going to happen. Um, if if you give students an inch, they may take a mile, and that's part of their development and learning self-control. And we have to remember that we are, you know, educating young people who are still developing those executive functioning skills of self-control and planning and making wise decisions. And so um, they, they might not be engaging in the videos. They might be copying each other's notes. So a large portion of the model, students are collaborating and doing practice together. When it comes down to the mastery check and you notice that a student hasn't mastered the concept, perhaps um, this might be a good opportunity to ask them, you know, may I see your notes? Um, show me what you've tried. I do know a, a teacher who will not give a second uh, mastery check without looking at notes first and having that conversation about, um, you know, what part did you struggle with? What do you need more information on? And so I think that's a perfect teachable moment to illustrate the point of the notes, illustrate the point of those interactive videos. Um, I'm not saying at all that you should promote, you know, academic uh, dishonesty because you certainly are not. But I think these um, the stakes are not as high when people are young and they have to learn uh, self-control. They have to learn uh, ways to be successful. And I think this model does more than just deliver content through instructional videos and collaborative activities. There's a lot to be said for the social emotional piece that can come out of implementation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when I first started implementing the model, I was like, oh, man, these are all the soft skills that I should have learned when I was this age. Because, <laughs> um, you know, students really do talk about like time management and they talk about, you know, who's going to work well and how to not get distracted and all of that good stuff. So um, one thing that I wanted to add, add to this as well is that I started implementing the model in 2019, school year 2019. So it was when COVID um, happened. And so we, everything closed out in March, right? So my colleagues and I um, noticed that our students were getting, you know, the instructional video fatigue. So we started like literally in August with the model and then and I want to say by second semester, maybe January, our students were kind of just like, oh, my gosh, this is another video. Um, and so it does happen. And so something that my colleague um actually uh, recommended was we used Edpuzzle to put like notes and ask those check for understanding questions. But we also started implementing some like stretch breaks in there. So the students would watch a video and then they get to the point where we could leave a note that says stand up and stretch. And so that would just be like a visual check for us to see like, oh, these students are reading the notes. They're actually understanding and doing what was being asked of them. There was one where um, students were uh, supposed to come up to the teacher and whisper a silly word. So it could easily be like SpongeBob SquarePants, but it got, it got them moving. So they would stand up, they would come whisper, and of course they'd giggle and then, um, and then go back and re and, and continue watching the video. So, so allowing and giving students the time to like take a break, go move for a little bit and then come back. Um, 
they can giggle, they can like do what, you know, whatever, but it's just a nice little quick break for them to just go back and refocus on their videos. And that helped out a lot with us as well. And we could really see like who's paying attention and who's not. And of course it's like celebrations of like, yes, you read exactly what we wrote. Like you understood what we were asking for you and um, for you to do. And so, you know, with Edpuzzle, have fun with it. You can have your check for understanding questions. You can have your notes and reminders, but then you can also like intentionally pause it and just say like, hey, go stand up and stretch, walk around the room once, whatever it may be. And then students will be curious as to like, hey, what is this guy doing? Um, why are they doing that? And then they get to the video and they're like, oh, okay, I see. That makes sense. Um, so, I mean, yeah, students get fatigued with watching the videos and then you just kind of figure out like what gets them a little bit more engaged. And even also just, I always have, I always ask my students like, Hey, I noticed this, what can we do better for next time? Um, I hate being the only one who come up with the ideas because sometimes I feel like my ideas are so great to me. And then my students just like all roll their eyes and they're like, no, this is actually trash, Misty. <laughs> so having um, the students be a part of the conversation and just naming the fact that like, hey, I see this is happening. What can we do better or how can we make this better for you? Did you ever have students who didn't want to take the notes? Did you require them to take notes? So, okay. Thank you for asking that, Lisa, because I did guided notes for unit zero and unit one. Um, and I realized that my students specifically would take like 30 minutes on an instructional video that was six minutes long because they wanted to write down every little thing. We had guided notes. So it was like just a fill in the blank, but it just took so long for students to do that. I was like, they're missing out on the actual skills that I want them to practice with. And so what I actually started doing is that I just provided cheat sheets for students. So they would watch the video and all of their attention was just on that video. And my my videos were no more than seven minutes long for my middle school um, English students, no more than six minutes long. So it was short enough that they could pay attention to it, but long enough that we would have all of the information needed for them. Um, and then that and then that way they can focus on the video, transfer those skills into the guided practice slash independent practice. And then I would have the cheat sheet linked for them so they can refer back to it. So it would just be like the definition examples. So then that means, right, like that my guided practice and my independent practice cannot be definitions and examples. They actually have to create their own. So it's like a higher level thinking with the Bloom's taxonomy. So, but, uh, but yeah, so when I had mentees, I would always tell my mentees like, Hey, you know, note taking skills are really important. Right. So, but I also need you to be aware of what those note taking skills look like and what you, and how long you want students to take, to take notes for. Um, and so the cheat sheets really worked well for my students. They like absolutely loved it. And there was also an option that I had students who really liked taking notes. So they could take notes however they wanted. They could either write it in bullet, uh, bullet points. They could draw it out, whatever it is for them to learn the best way. I just celebrated it and welcomed all of it, but I wanted to make sure that everything was accessible for them. So, I had the video plus I had the cheat sheet so that it's something that they could always refer to when they're doing um, their guided practice and independent practice as well. So here's a great question uh, that came in. 
I don't think the progress trackers will be a positive thing for my classroom. Do I really need to use it? What do you think about that? Oh my goodness gracious. Um, I understand the hesitation around pacing tracker, right? Because I know in my teacher head, I automatically think, oh my gosh, the students are going to know exactly what's happening um, and what kind of grades they're getting. But the beauty of the pacing trackers for modern classroom is actually that it's not going to have any kind of grading at all. Now, when I think back in my teaching practice, I used to have homework trackers, right, of where I would just walk around and check off whether or not students did their homework. Um, and that was just a way for me to see and track where students are with homework completion, which is so bizarre to me now because I absolutely hate homework and I would never do that again. Um <laughs> But with the progress tracker, they have there, um, it literally just shows mastery or revise. It doesn't even say like that a student failed something, that a student didn't do anything correctly. It was just those two options of mastery and revised. And the progress tracker is a great way for students to really see where they are in the unit. So that with that being said, you really do have to do your backwards uh, planning, right? You need to know how many lessons there are, when are the due dates for this, um, what are the skills that you're teaching? And so all of those information can be found in the pacing tracker. Now, another thing um, that I absolutely love about the pacing tracker is that just like what Lisa was saying, right? However you introduce this concept to students is how it's going to go in the class. So if you have some hesitation about the pacing tracker, the students will have hesitations about the pacing tracker. For me, I introduce it in such a positive way, right? I tell my students, hey, this is a way for us to just kind of keep track of where we are. Um, this is not a way for us to make fun of anybody. It is not a way for us to look down on anybody, but this is a way for us to collaborate with each other, to be collaborative with our tasks that we're working on. And so, for example, if a student sees that their best friend is ahead of pace, they can go to their best friend and have that conversation about how they did something, right? Or another thing is that I know for a fact that I can teach a concept all day long and a student will not understand what I'm talking about, but then their peer will say it exactly the same way I did. And then there's a light bulb moment, right? So this just kind of shows like students really love learning from each other. I am not the gatekeeper of all the knowledge in my classroom. Therefore, the pacing tracker really allows for students to see who they can go to ask for help. But then also for my students who are ahead of pace, who can they go and help as well? If they're struggling with theme, for example, or inferences or um, writing a topic sentence, right? They can go to that, um, to that classmate and say, hey, like, do you need any assistance? So this is just a great way to build community in the classroom. It's not a way for um, students to feel bad that they're behind pace, um, to feel bad that they have a revise on their pacing tracker, but really more so just as a way for you to be like, okay, here we're like supposed to be in lesson three, you're in lesson one. And as a teacher, I know for a fact, I need to go sit and work with that student ASAP just so that I can see what the misconceptions and challenges are and that they're not getting too behind. And the beauty of this model too is that they can, I mean, like 
I could go and sit with that student the whole entire class time if I wanted, because there's no live lecturing anymore. And so the pacing tracker, again, is just a quick way for me to see like, oh, I need to have these students grouped together because they're in the same pace. Um, and then I can work with them to continue making sure that they're doing and they're feeling okay and feeling good and feeling successful. Um, another beautiful thing about the pacing tracker is that it not only holds the students accountable, right? And um, holding themselves accountable and holding each other accountable. It also holds me as the teacher accountable because I can no longer have something sitting on my desk forever. I have to give immediate feedback so my students can continue to work um, towards like work during their unit. And so it's just kind of like, it's just such a great visual. And for me, I had my students' initials on there. Um, and my students didn't mind at all. And this was shared to all stakeholders. So that means it was shared to my co-teachers, families, um, my SPED teachers, like everyone had access to this document. And my students didn't seem to mind because I had, I had rolled it out in such a positive way. And I wholeheartedly believed in the pacing tracker. And so they just kind of bought it in. Um, and another thing that I also told my students is that, you know, this pacing tracker really eliminates the question of what am I doing next? Because, you know, as teachers, we get that a lot. Well, I don't know what to do. What am I doing next? I'm done with that already. But with the pacing tracker, they can see, oh, okay, this is the next step. Um, another question that it eliminated is, Ms. D, what's my grade? And I always tell my students, I don't want I don't want you to ask me what your grade is. I want you to ask me, like, how can I make revisions to, so that I can master this specific skill? And so I tell my students, if you've mastered a skill, then you know what? Your um, your grades will mirror your efforts um, and your mastery as well, right? And so um, I'm just all about these pacing trackers. And I don't, I didn't have an individual one. I just had a big class one. Um, and some teachers, you know, had nicknames, some teachers had ID numbers or just numbers, however that is. But students always tell on themselves. They're like, yeah, I'm user 555. <laughs> and that's just kind of, that's, that's, that's their own thing, right? And that's okay. You said something, Tony Rose, uh, that made me think about visible learning. You said it communicates to the students where they are and where they're supposed to go. And we know that through Hattie's research, that is so important. Um, students can't aimlessly wander through a unit and expect to achieve mastery. And I think that's the, the point of the, the progress tracker, some call it a pacing tracker, to show them where they are supposed to go next and how they're doing right now. Um, the other thing you said uh, that, that was particularly powerful was go to their best friend for support. But what if their collaboration partner isn't their best friend? Um, I think this opens the door to other interactions with uh, students. Maybe they don't talk to all the time. Maybe this allows the student who might be a little bit more reserved to come forth and share their expertise, share their ability to interact with students. Whereas in a traditional model, they might not have that opportunity to collaborate in that same way and be that teacher leader, be that uh, collaborative partner. Okay. So, um, gosh, these are great questions, Lisa. I feel like I could talk about one of them like all day long, right? Um, but for time's sake, let's talk about the next one where this specific teacher asked, aren't students just going to take all their time with self-pacing and not actually use their time wisely? 
I think, um, I know adults, myself included, who might take my sweet time getting some things done and not always use my you know, time wisely to get some of the things around the house done or a task that I have to accomplish. And that's where accountability teaches us you know, time management. There's absolutely a, a significant amount of power in how this model can support that skill set, right? So you might notice students do take all of their time. Maybe they procrastinate some. Um, Maybe they need more time to complete. I think what makes this work is there are parameters that us as the teacher can live with. We know the end goal. We know the end date. And we have to communicate that over and over and over. And there are folks who will grow up and um, be very successful in their job and complete the project an hour before it's due. And then there will be people um, who work on it a little bit every day and they might kind of fluctuate in their productivity. So, you know, I do think some students are going to have to take the time to figure out what works for them. I think the model can be kind of like training wheels as they learn how to progress through on a timeline. If we do it for them every single time and tell them every step of the way, it should be no surprise that when they are in high school or in college, that time management might be difficult for them. So while the stakes are not as high, again, I go back to that note-taking comment I made. I think this is the perfect time to teach them how to um, do self-pacing and figure out time management. Um, And then that natural consequence might be that maybe they didn't have the best mastery check and provide that opportunity to reteach and and learn it and get to that point of mastery. This is all uh, a work in progress for those developing brains. Yeah. And I mean, I, I even was just thinking about too, like, this is a learning curve for everyone, right? So of course, you're going to have students who are like, oh, bet, I'm gonna not do the work today. <laughs> I have this amount of time. So I'm gonna just chill. Um, and so definitely you'll have those students. But with the pacing tracker, the progress tracker, you'll be able to see, oh, this student has done nothing. So let me go sit with him. And so now, you know, it becomes this thing where like, I know for a fact that one specific student. Gosh, I love this kid so much. Um, But huge procrastinator, right? And absolutely hated when I would sit beside this student. He just hated it so much. And so he knew, okay, Miss D's going to come sit with me if I don't get, if I don't get it together. Um, And so of course, then he started, you know, doing his work and just kind of (laughs) figuring out um, what works best for him. So, um, and as far as like the natural consequences, what I tell my students all the time is that, hey, if you take your time, then um, you'll be able to really revise and really have a deeper understanding and analysis of what we're doing in class. And then if you rush, you may miss a thing or two, but this is a life lesson, right? And so it's something that students, it's still developing, but it's something that's good for them to practice even at a young age. Um, And so, and I think with the self-pacing, you do have your soft deadlines and you have your hard deadlines. So your hard deadlines, there's, you're not budging. Like this is the last day of the unit. Um, and what I did typically was the last day of the unit was like a week before the actual day, just so that I have some time to really provide feedback, my students to reflect on how the unit went, um, all of that good stuff. And so my students knew at this, this, this date, 
that's not budging. Like you better do what you got to do there um, by that by this date. But the soft deadlines, they knew for them to continue being on pace, like they have to meet those soft deadlines. But it's also okay if they don't meet those soft deadlines. And this is where then I will step in and do small groups or independent or one on one um, check ins with my students to just kind of make sure that they're doing okay. If there's anything I can do to help them um, to help them be successful, uh, so they know that I'm with them every. Every step of the way. Um, and so, yeah, just keeping in mind, like being firm with it, you have your soft deadlines, you have your hard deadlines and students will understand like what the expectations are as long as you're clear. So Tony Rose, you mentioned that student that you often needed to sit by to support them and, you know, kind of nudge them in the right direction along that uh, self-pacing element of the model. You know, I think that's important to point out that if you notice over and over and over a student needing more focused time, you know, because your instructional time is through that, you know, video, but if it's requiring more of your time to work with the student one-on-one, whether they want more of your time and attention, whether they need additional support uh, with learning, I think, um, if you notice the self-pacing seems to be off track each and every unit, then you might even be able to uncover some additional data points to find support for that student where you may not have had that information before. That's a really good point, right? Another thing that I did with students too is that I had flexible seating in my classroom. And so if I knew that you were just like messing around and doing whatever, you had to sit at a specific desk with me. And then once that you can handle like being by yourself and like really um, following the the class's pace, then you're able to go sit wherever you want. So um, just kind of, you know, something like that. I'm not like holding it over their heads, but it's just like, no, like, you're two lessons behind and I don't see you doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so uh, my students know at flexible seating that I trust them to make smart decisions. And when they don't make smart decisions, that's when Ms. D can come in and ruin your life. (laughs) Basically being like, hey, you can't sit there anymore. Come sit over here instead. (laughs) Nice. All right. So moving on to the next question. Again, I really, really love these questions. So Lisa, this teacher says, I see this working for schools with attendance challenges. Um, so absenteeism, but how does this work for schools who have no problems with attendance? Is it still applicable? I think absolutely not. I think I know. Yes, absolutely. You know, absenteeism, chronic absenteeism is prevalent in um, all schools, maybe for a smaller population of students. And then there are schools where it is prevalent for many students. But what exists in all schools, no matter the attendance, are life issues, right? Um, a breakup in the hallway, drama in the hallway, um, a bad day, someone is sick. You know, these exist everywhere. And then now that we are back in school, not doing remote learning, not doing hybrid learning, uh, many educators are faced with students gone for a long time due to quarantine, due to absence because of illness. Or what if the teacher's gone, right? The teacher might need to be out for quarantine. The instructional videos where the teacher might not be in the room or where the students have to be gone for a long time, these instructional videos support learning without disruption. And that is the goal of every single teacher, learning without disruption. So even if attendance isn't an issue, um, normal, everyday, 
Uh, student and adult issues exist in every single building and learning without disruption is the goal. That's really good, Lisa. Learning without disruption. Because then the first thing that also popped into my head was like the sports games, right? Like I remember having students leave at two o'clock every afternoon to go play a sport. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, you're missing out on this content. What are you going to do? And so, yeah, that's right. Life happens. Life happens for everyone. So it's not just like absenteeism, but literally anything. Um, And to be able to access the information just because like you're not in the classroom physically doesn't mean that the learning stops there. The learning continues even when you're not in the classroom. Um, I love that. Yes, Lisa, with the words. (laughs) So learning continues, right? So back to that student who I encountered at the gym, she was not absent. In fact, what that video did it jogged her memory and she was able to retrieve more information that uh, the teacher said and talked about the voices he was using and uh, some of his, you know, hand gestures and things that he was doing to um, articulate himself in the classroom. And so even though that student was not absent, she's at school, doesn't have any issue with that, that video and that format works so well for her. And then, you know, though she's not my child, um, imagine if you were the parent needing to support a child. I can think of times when my mom would want to help me with my homework or, you know, quiz me for whatever. And just because I'm a, a middle school student, my parents are from another planet and I don't want to talk to them. You know, that's totally normal developmentally. Uh, This model works to continue that learning even when students are being 13. Uh, It's just very, very helpful in so many ways. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) I'm cracking up now because I like eventually when I have children, I'm really nervous about math classes. And I swear to you, if they're instructional videos to help me (laughs) help my students, that would be phenomenal. All right. Well, uh, just one question. And I think I'm going to put this on the spot for you, Lisa. But what would you say to people who are hesitant about our model? So I responded to a teacher yesterday um, asking a question about um, onboarding and supporting folks who might not know a lot about it or are apprehensive about starting. And I likened the model to double dutch. Um, if you've never done double dutch, that's that you know jump roping that I'm terrible at where there's two ropes going simultaneously and it would take me forever to jump in and just do it, right? And I would get smacked around with the ropes and eventually I would get the hang of it. Well, it's just like that. You know, at some point you just have to go for it, try it. It might be messy in the beginning, but innovation is scary and hard. Um, But that's that desirable difficulty that helps us remember and grow and learn. And we can model growth mindset with that difficulty. So my advice is just do it and try it. Um, I would just say go for it. Try it out. Figure out what works for you. If you're overwhelmed by the entire scope of the model, then start small. If you are an elementary teacher, for example, consider doing 
one prep in the model, consider doing one unit in the model. Um, I know when I taught elementary, we did guided reading, guided math, where I would be at the back table with um, a group of students and then have station work for other students. I think that would be a fantastic place to begin implementing. Start small, uh, do bite-sized pieces and, um, and go from there because it's absolutely possible. Um, and Lisa, I'm literally cracking up right now because I just have the visual of just getting smacked in the face by those jump ropes. <laughs> and like, that's a perfect, perfect analogy. Teaching is messy. Teaching can be painful sometimes. Um, but again, with innovation, right? There's just take a risk. It's all like, it'll all be worth it. Um, and I know it's so simple to say, just take a risk because sometimes, you know, there are times where we can't take those risks. So um, if you are implementing or if you are hesitant about implementing this model, it's totally understandable. It's brand new. Take your time. Process it all. Make it work for your classroom. Um, there's no right or wrong way. We say this all the time. There's no right or wrong way for this model. So make it your own. Um, but again, you know, questions and feedback and critiques like this, we welcome it as an organization because we want to be able to value your input and also just share that space to acknowledge that there are some hesitation um, with this model. And that's OK because it is brand new, but we're here to help support you, to help guide you, to hopefully answer any questions that you may have. And so with that being said, Lisa, I appreciate your whole being. I love the perspective that you brought in. And I love that you um, just have different perspectives that I could be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that part. Thanks. Um, so really appreciate you joining me today. And um, everyone else, thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much, Tony Rose. It is always a pleasure talking to you, and I'm so glad to be here. So thanks, everybody. Yay, we'll see you all next time. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.